everybody welcome to the 56th edition of the holy backboard podcast i am dustin here in chilly rip city and i got my man sage chilling in southern oregon it is also quite chilly here it, it it's completely unpleasant i have to wear like pants and layers of clothing i, I don't fuck with it you guys have snow advisories down there apparently it's gonna snow i uh, there's this uh, there's these weather people that are always trying to create a stir down in Southern Oregon for clicks. So it makes me not trust them. So I don't know if there's going to be snow or not. I'll ju- I just check my apps before I do anything. I could sure go for some snow. I'm a snow guy. It's, it's Christmas time. It's nothing better than snow around the holidays. And as all Oregonians know, at least in the Portland metro area or in the Willamette Valley, snow just isn't it's just very infrequent so when you do get it you kind of cherish it um what blazer fans should be cherishing are two victories sage we were below 500 we were at nine and ten after our last recording and we had actually lost uh, six of our last eight games and we weren't putting up much of a fight against any team with a pulse thankfully they did what they had to do these past two games against the pacers and the heat um, on Wednesday, they destroyed a shorthanded Indiana team just as they should, 131 to 109. And then they followed that up with, you know, a pretty, I would say their first gritty win of the entire season, holding the Miami Heat to just 92 points as Portland uh, won by seven, 99-92. It was just the third time in 21 games the Blazers have held an opponent under 100 points. And fun fact, that game bumped Portland from 29th best defense all the way to 28th, only allowing 112.5. So progress. We are making progress, Sage. Don't lie. Did you think that we were going to lose that uh, heat game? When I think it was Drogic. No, when Whiteside tipped it in to put them up 91.85, I was already getting my drafts ready on Twitter. Like, this is going to be the worst loss of the season. The Heat have like eight healthy players, and we're just playing like absolute trash on the offensive end. Like Damon CJ could not throw it in the ocean. So yeah, I definitely thought we were going to lose. Then all of a sudden CJ gets a big three. I think Mo Harkless uh, had a steal and jam. And then, like I said on Twitter, Blazer fans should give Goran Dragic a thank you card because he tried to play hero ball instead of feeding us on white side. And- or maybe I even tweeted it. We got to hope that they just get selfish and stop feeding Hassan because there was no one on this team that could potentially stop him. And he was he was making buckets. I was shocked that he made with such ease. Like he, he added a back. He's a monster. Yeah. He added like a turnaround J. He hit from 18 consistently. He was 12 of 16, even hit four of six from the foul line. So you couldn't bank on fouling him and hoping he misses like DeAndre Jordan. He had 28 and 16 to go along with five blocks. And to pour more salt in the wound, Eric Gunderson, um, former beat writer of the Columbian and also guest on the Friends of Holy Backboard, had a great story about Hassan Whiteside saying, yes, the Trailblazers were my second choice in free agency. So I guess that's nothing new for Portland fans. We're always the bridesmaid, never the bride, except for 1977. 
it's just interesting to me because he met with Dallas first, didn't by all accounts, didn't even give Portland the, the, the time of day. I mean, there was interest, I think, being reported from multiple parties. But when it came out that he went to Dallas, they were going to offer him a max deal and he brought that back to Miami. It was pretty clear to me that he was using Dallas to get a max deal from the Heat. He probably thought Dwayne Wade was still going to stay there. Even so, with Dwayne Wade, that team is not going to do anything out east. Seeing what he did on Saturday night and looking at the current Blazers roster, he just fits in like a a, a T, to a T. And it's so just kind of disheartening to think that we could have had him, a legitimate shot at having him. And he solves so many of our problems that we're eighth in the playoff standings right now at 11 and 10. But with Hassan Whiteside, we could legitimately challenge for that two seed. He solves so many problems. So on one hand, it's great that we are considered. On the other hand, it's goes down as another long line of free agents where we swung and miss. I, I clicked it because Eric's my, my dude. I didn't read it because second best on getting a free agent really doesn't do much for me. That's great that you think that we're awesome, but I don't really care that we were the second fiddle. And hey, he's stuck in Miami for four years, so the joke's really on him. But I thought that performance out of the Blazers was very fortunate in the sense that I saw a lot of things from Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum that I just did not like. Uh, The two combined to shoot 13 for 37. I know they are the second best backcourt in the league, and I know they are obviously the best players Portland has on this roster. But it comes a time and place where you need to start trusting your teammates and sharing sharing the sugar. Um, CJ, on one possession, literally shot it three straight times. Like, we kept getting the rebound. He kept shooting. I was yelling at the TV for him to pass the goddamn basketball. Um, Damian was so cold, and he, he, went, he reverted back to last year's habits where he would try to jack up 35-foot threes to get himself going. And that was one thing we were praising him early on for not doing. He was getting to the rack. But he kept trying to shoot those, and it, it's not a way to get into rhythm. You got to get closer to the hoop, and then you move, you work your way backwards. Um, well, I mean, Hassan has to be a factor in him jacking up awful threes. We'll get to the mid range then. I mean, he could have got there. No one on the Heat was going to stop him. And you even looked at um, Hassan Whiteside when CJ actually took a better shot, and they did the pick and roll. Hassan was staying in the paint. He did not want to get out there. No, he, CJ, was, he was not leaving that shit. I think that was when CJ hit like a dead-eye mid-range shot and talked shit, and then it sparked off a little bit of a run that I think won us the game. It did. It was down in the stretch. And don't get me wrong. Damon CJ should be taking the bulk of our shots, but it was seeing we had other guys going. You know, Mo Harkless shot 50%. Alan Crabb was locked in 5 of 11, 4 of 6 from downtown. Um, Mason Plumlee was 5 of 8. He was getting it done down low. Um, there's other players we should learn to trust a little bit more. I definitely want to see those two guys shoot a lot, but there came a point in the game where I felt like they were forcing it and it was um, hindering our offensive rhythm. Well, I think I think you mentioned the word trust. I don't think for some reason our backcourt trusts our, trust the team right now. Maybe it's because of the lackluster performances that we put up, but I praise Anthony Davis for the trust in his shitty teammates. He trusts that they'll they're gonna put it in when they won't. I th- I think Dave and CJ just need to need to work on that trust issues a little bit. 
because shooting, I mean, when you're cold, you should contribute other ways other than shooting bad shots. I mean, they I mean, yeah. You know, shoot or shoot, and we would have not won the game unless CJ got hot, so I completely agree with that. But if we're talking third quarter and you're missing like three, three, four, five straight shots, let's pass the ball, let's quit dribbling so much, let's get others involved, especially Mo Harkless, who has just been an amazing find. I cannot believe we got him for a draft pick. We will likely never surrender, and we got him on such a team-friendly deal. You know, the four years, $40 million, uh, 17 points, seven boards, one steal, one block, 50% shooting, as we mentioned, and a very important 4-4 the foul line. He was a little inconsistent last year at the line. I felt like he's gotten really strong at the charity stripe this year. And what I love most about Harkless is he's just catching and shooting now. Like, there's no hesitation. And as a player, that is the number one sign that you have confidence in your abilities. So do you think that his fantastic play is making Alfaruk Aminu more tradable just because he fills in some of those things that we need? Like, if... It, if if Al Farouk was uh, a big part of the way, uh, a big part for the Blazers trade for a big, I think Mo Harkless is making him a little bit more expendable. Yeah, Mo Harkless is locked up for more years. I think we only have Chief for two more years after the season. Uh, Harkless is younger. I think he's more of a natural three. Yes, we played better when Al Farouk went to the four full time, but I don't think that was ever a sustainable recipe to bring a championship to Portland with Alfred Camino. Especially who we have at the center. Exactly. So if, for instance, the Kings are calling and they demand Alfred Camino be involved in the Cousins trade, yes, you move Aminu. Um, There are other fours out there. I think Davis has done a great job of filling in. Vonley still, to me, needs more playing time. Uh, The guy, every time I watch him, still plays the best perimeter defense of all of our bigs and is very active on the glass. Um, I like Chief. I like what he brings. He's going to he's gonna help our defense get um, stronger once he's inserted into the starting lineup. Uh, the reports are coming out that he will be active tomorrow night in Chicago. Uh, no one is saying for certain whether he will play or not, but I think it's really looking good that we will see uh, Chief return on this road trip, and Portland will definitely need that. However, I don't think you can put him in the just you cannot trade category. There's one player on the Blazers that you cannot trade. That's Damian Lillard. Um, McCollum's probably that tier two and maybe Aminu's in that three or four tier, but to get talent, you got to give up something too. So that's yeah, I my mean, for, thing. for real trades that aren't, you know, involving Billy King, you know, these trades have to hurt a little. So if we get a good big in return, we might have to lose some of our flexibility on the wing. Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about the first game uh, of the week in which I was in attendance. The Blazers completely controlled from start to finish against uh, another injury-riddled team, the Indiana Pacers. Uh, Portland destroyed them by 22, putting up 131 on Indiana. Uh, This was a game that I wanted to see. We talked about this on the last podcast. Yes, if the Blazers won, we would be happy. But if they're struggling to beat a team without C.J. Miles and Paul George— you're really going to start raising that red flag. However, they jumped out on them early. Uh, Dame was vintage Dame, a double-double, 28-10. and 10. He got everyone involved. But again, going back to Mo Harkless, he has been on an absolute tear. He had 23 points on 9 of 14 shooting. Uh, really took advantage of Paul George not being there. And 
I just love the way they played defense in this game. This was one of their better performances. Uh, I felt like, especially our guards, and even in the Miami Heat game, Alan Crabb has an in, increased the intensity on the defensive end. Uh, his hands are more active. If you watched him, he was fighting around every screen. He actually initiated a technical foul on Tyler Johnson in the Miami game because he was he was kind of roughing him up. He was um, grabbing him, fighting through the screens, uh, playing physical, that brand of defense that we've been preaching, that we see the Grizzlies play, and it got into Tyler Johnson's head. The refs were letting him play physical, so good on AC for keeping that brand of basketball alive, and that's what we need to see. All it takes is a little bit of effort and physicality, and it the rest of the team really thrives off of that. Speaking of physicality, I think Evan Turner's been playing much better in the last... I get, I, I think... When I call him out for being such a burden on our cap, he really stepped it up. So about for two weeks, he's been playing really well. I th- I think I know when he does when he shoots well and when he doesn't. I think the recipe for Evan Turner to to shoot well and score well is when he has a small guard on him, so he can post him up, bully ball him down low, and then that just opens up so many options. If you look at when Evan Turner scores the most, it's when a small guard like Rodney Stuckey, Eric Gordon, uh, Langston Galloway, all these small guys are on him. And I think over the past two weeks, Blazer fans are getting a glimpse into what Neil O'Shea envisioned when he did make that offer to Evan Turner. He's not just going to score the basketball. You look at the Indiana game where he did. He looked amazing, and he capped off – I think he capped off a person like 7-0 run in the second. Yeah, really bully-bowling Rodney. He, he was 5-7 of seven from the floor, 1-1 one of one from downtown. He had 13 points. That's not something I would really come to expect every night from Evan Turner because he still played fantastic against the Heat and shot 3 of 10 for 9 points. And I still thought he was an amazing help on – he was, he was a, a really big factor in us getting that victory because he had three steals – Six boards, six assists, and zero turnovers. And he had an amazing highlight reel behind the back dribble, setting up Myers for the dunk against the Heat, against the Pacers. You, we want to talk again. Just one turnover. So he's had one turnover in the, the, these two games uh, of the last week. Um, 12 assists. 12 assists, one turnover. That's what we need from Evan Turner. You mentioned him going up against a smaller guard. That's definitely uh, plays a role in his scoring. I also think he is so much better with the ball in his hands. And oh, absolutely. He, he needs to be the de facto backup point guard. Mm-hmm. So when he's in the game, he needs to have the ball in his hands because Damon CJ and AC, all those guys can score off of the dribble. I don't mind Devin Turner spotting up and shooting once in a while, but he's so much better when he's able to create and distribute. But because that, that's, shit, that, that's stuff that we knew before. He needs the ball in his hand to be a good player. I remember, vividly remember us saying, he, his usage rate is going to be high coming off the bench because he needs it in his hand. It, it, it's good to see that he's being put in a place where he can succeed in the last few games. And he's good with the ball in his hands. I mean, he even mentioned that, you know, now I know where guys want the ball. Mm-hmm. And I think we all underestimated how long it was going to take for that to click. Even people like us who were saying, be patient with Evan, I was starting to get a little, you know. Oh, yeah. You, a few weeks ago, I was calling him Tyree. But it takes a lot of time for these guys to know exactly where they like the ball. Does he like the ball off the bounce? Does he like it, you know, chest pass? 
Um, do you lead him? Do you go to his right or his left? Do you know he's going to cut when he should cut? Are you seeing the same play develop before your eyes? So that does take time. And I think we're starting to to reap those rewards because this is a much different and much more dangerous Blazers team. And we have another creator on the floor like Turner because he is so good in the mid-range. And he gives us that that different look. A lot of our guys are, you know, spreading stuff. You know, Damon CJ, they can do it all. But then we've got a bunch of shooters outside. Turner can actually get to the cup, and he is a master of the mid-range, which is, you know, which just has been a lost art for, for quite some time. But I think if Portland is to take their home success and go out on the road, this is the toughest stretch that we have all season. We talked about this on the preview episode. This upcoming stretch of eight of the next nine on the road, Evan Turner and Alan Crabb, need to be big because the blazer bench is what really elevates this team. Damon CJ aren't going to have performances like, like they did in against Miami very often. They're more times than not going to lead us to victory and put up gaudy numbers in the process. But if we can get consistent performances from the bench, guys like Mo Harkless and Mason Plumley, that's when we start to see the depth of this team take, take over games and what we envisioned in the preseason, how good this team could be. Um, would I like that we're a little bit better than 11 and 10 at this point? Yeah, I think we probably could have 13 or 14 wins, but again, our schedule is backloaded with home games. So we just really need to stay pace with the OKCs and the Utahs of the world, because once March hits, there's going to be so many home games that we could take advantage of. We just have to be in position to take advantage of them. I mean, and vice versa. If Dame didn't save us, we would be very negative in a lot of – we could have a very negative record. We'd be trying to play catch-up right now. You know, as it stands, uh, we are 11-10. and 10. We are eighth in the West, uh, two games in the loss column above the Los Angeles Lakers, and we're only three games in the loss column back of Houston the fourth. So it's a very fluid situation, but if I'm looking at the standings and I see the lottery teams right now below Portland, you've got the Lakers – the Kings, the Nuggets, the Pelicans, the Wolves, the Suns, and the Mavericks. To be honest, I don't see how any of those teams, given the current status of their health, being able to pass the Trailblazers. So I, think, so I think if you're a Blazer fan, the playoffs should feel very comfortable. But you always, as it is in the postseason, you want to find a favorable matchup. You want to get the best seed possible. So you should look for Portland to keep trying to leapfrog these teams. But as long as they can stay above water in the month of December. December is going to be a very trying month for, for this team. As long as they can avoid the, the two- and three-game losing streaks, they will be fine. This is, just trying to, this is just trying to survive the storm. So are we going to talk about that Nerlens rumor? Of course. I mean, uh, it's December 15th, mark your calendars, is when free agents can now be traded. Um, not restricted free agents that have that had their offers matched like Alan Crabb. In that that type of case, he must wait till January 15th. But for Myers Leonard, Mo Harkless, um, I think even CJ McCollum, since he had no CJ can be traded right now, but he's his deal was much more difficult because of the poison pill contract. But December 15th is when all the new guys can be moved. And to be honest, I'm not certain what the landscape of the NBA is going to be like come trading season. Will teams sell? Will they buy? Um, it's being reported. It's going to be a very impressive draft class uh, this year in 2017. 
Um, I think you're going to see a lot of teams maybe look and say, you know, the Warriors are pretty goddamn loaded. So are the Cavs. We may want to play for the future on this one. Um, but as always, there are going to be moves. I expect Portland to make a deal. They have to. We obviously have been preaching for a consolidation trade for some time. And a name that keeps coming up is Nerlens Noel. Uh, Noel is what in his what fourth year in Philadelphia? He was drafted the same year as CJ. So fourth year in Philadelphia. With the sixth pick. Has not played at all uh, this season. I think he just got assigned to the 87ers. Yeah, he was on the 87ers for a few games that got called up for a practice, then got set. And it's being reported that he wants no part of the 76ers. Uh, he's going to be a restricted free agent, so whoever gets him would be able to hold his, his bird rights and have the ability to match any offer. But it comes down to what would Philadelphia want? And how much would Portland be willing to pay Nerlens so well in the open market? I don't know if we've ever said it on the podcast, but we've said it to each other plenty. This team needs Alan Crabb. The Philadelphia Sixers need a shooter that can play defense. So I, I think any trade involving the Philadelphia 76ers for Noel, Jaw, if you know he gets into more trouble, AC has to be involved. So that, that means it's pushed to January 15th before any of the, the, the stuff can happen. His contract, the Philadelphia 76ers, if they just wanted AC, could swallow his contract just because of how cheap they have been with, I mean, Jared Bayless is the most expensive player on their team, followed by Hendo. So they could swallow his contract, but I think they may want more. And I don't think they'd be able to get more. You don't think they could get uh, – I, I think they don't want a center. I think they'd ask for Al Farouk and Crab for, you know, Nerlens and some pieces. To this point in his career, Nerlens Noel has not performed. He has not put up those statistics to warrant Alan Crab and Al Farouk Camino. Sure, he has potential. Yes, he's young. He's long and athletic. But his production has not warranted that type of asking price, especially – now that he is coming off an injury, he did injure his ACL coming out of uh, Kentucky. And NBA GMs know that Philadelphia has to move him. So that puts the 76ers at a significant disadvantage. Um, teams know, hey, if we just throw a decent number at him in the free agency, uh, Philadelphia is not going to match. They have Ben Simmons, Dario Saric, uh, Jalil Okafor, Joel Embiid. They have got a plethora of bigs, and they do not want to be spending their, their, their cap room on uh, – re-signing their ones Noel. So I think it actually puts Portland in a better position or teams trying to acquire a guy like Noel because they have the leverage in, in this negotiation. I think Alan Crabb might even be too high of an asking price. I think it might come down to a heavily protected first-round pick and maybe a guy like Shabazz Napier. Um, we, the beauty of this is nobody knows. I think the longer Portland waits or any team waits for Nerlens, the better the deal. I definitely want to see what he can do on, on the court. I think he can fix some problems, but then he creates some. If we saw if we trade for Nerlens Noel, I think that all but means Mason Plumlee's gone. They're both free agents at the end of this year. You traded for one. I don't think you're going to really give up potentially AC or a first-round pick and then not resign this dude. That's that's the pickle that Neil Walsh is in, and you know Alan Crabb is the most difficult blazer I think to project. We called him Martel Webster 
early on in his Blazer career, especially when he was performing well last year because he would go through stretches where he was money. He was lights out, playing like he did last night against the Heat, and then he would follow that up with just no-shows. You know, typical, just hot, cold, 50-50, you never know what you're going to get, and that's kind of what we got from Martell, who had a beautiful stroke. But when he was in Portland, it just never fell consistently. So you have to look at Allen's performances almost in totality and not be a prisoner of the moment when it comes to him because when he's when he's clicking that is the guy we need off the bench but the problem is can we get that from him on a consistent night in night out basis that's what we need to see from Alan Crabb would you do like oh man I think the biggest needs for Philadelphia is a legitimate point guard because that Sergio Rodriguez is very inconsistent with a lot of things. Jared Bayless is also inconsistent. Do you think they would accept a an Alan Crab Shabazz Napier trade for Nerlens and then another piece? We can't give him Bazzy. Just because of the name? Just because of the name. Okay. Sorry, sorry, Philly. <laughs> Alright, word. They're, they Philadelphia, as bad as a team they have. They are. There's still some players that I'm very interested in. There's, uh, I mean, I think Robert Covington would be a very good blazer. And there's this guy, uh, shoot. I would love to have Rashad Holmes on our team if we can't swing a trade with Ner- for Nerlens. Would Nerlens fix things with our team? No. It's to fix our – Hassan Whiteside would fix our team, and that's why it was so frustrating. Nerlens would be, I think, a piece. Um, and it's very difficult uh, – if I'm Neil O'Shea, if the difficult nature of this roster is one move isn't going to cure all. I don't care if you want Boogie Cousins. I don't care if you, you wanted to, to sign you know, somebody else. Like The way this roster is constructed – we need help in a plethora of areas. We need better wing defenders. We need a low post score. We need overall front court defenders. Um, we don't have a real power forward. I think Neil's also kind of up against a rock and a hard place because he saw how well this team can compete against the Golden State Warriors. But in all reality, there's no way this team's going to win an, uh, an NBA championship this year. And I almost... It kind of dawned on me. I realized we were the second youngest team, but actually went and looked at our starting five and all of our core players. Evan Turner at 28 is the oldest trailblazer. You've got Mo Harkless, who's 23. CJ's 25. Dame's 26. Allen, I think, is 23. Mason's 24. Myers is 23 or 24. You know, you've got so much youth. You know, Vonley's 21. And really, players don't really get into their prime until 29 or 30. So Portland needs to be very careful here and not jeopardize their future to just save this season. This season is fun, and it'd be great to make the playoffs, even the second round again. But let's not throw away our future just because we seem to have some problems now. Now, if we can get a guy who we think can be a part of the core for those next five or six years with the rest of the guys, absolutely. But it's very risky going after a guy like Cousins who could leave us in 2018 Nerlens Noel, who could leave us um, if he gets a big deal in, in 2017. Um, it's just a very tricky situation and one that I'm, I'm not envious of, that I'm not in, or that I am. 
it's very delicate. Because if he does nothing, there's a chance that our players just become mediocre, and then we start being one of those teams that aren't good enough to tank, not good enough to go far in the playoffs. Make a trade. That shit could backfire pretty easily. You see how delicate chemistry is. I, th- I think in these next two years are very important to make smart trades that won't shake the, f- the the chemistry and continuity of this team. But we need to improve at the same time. So it's very delicate. I, I don't. I wouldn't want to be in his shoes for this. Because if he if he fucks up, he's the villain that ruined this once young and promising team. I think he needs to go back to his roots. And by his roots, I mean finding those bargain deals. Uh, he found Robin Lopez for cap space. Um, he made pretty much water out of wine with that roster to bring us to the second round of the playoffs a couple years ago. He did the same thing in the summer of 2015. Or, excuse me, the yeah, summer of 2015 when he brought in Aminu and Ed Davis. Um, brought in Mo Harkless for nothing. Did the same thing last summer, getting... Um, Shabazz Napier for nothing. I think he needs to start making those deals and finding guys who have fallen out of flavor in their current s- situations. You look at you know Vucevic in Orlando. The Magic really have a lot of bigs, and that team is nowhere near where they should be based upon how bad they've been. Like you, you would think with that many lottery picks in a row, they would start to show some signs of life. They haven't. Um, you look at even a team like Atlanta who started nine and two and has now lost six straight and is out of the playoff picture if the playoffs started today, um, Paul Millsap could be a guy. Yes, he's a free agent, but can you get him for the right price without jeopardizing your future? Um, going back to the Magic, Serge Ibaka, again, is a potential free agent. So you've got to find these players that can help your team, but you don't feel like you have to give up the farm to get. Mm. I was going to disagree with you until you brought up those players. I think hitting singles and doubles is cool, but... What we really need is a third star, and that's that's more difficult than finding. But we can't get a third star without giving up our already, you know, power hitters. Like, that's the thing. So everyone keeps mentioning Boogie Cousins. Yes, I think that wouldn't be a trade that improves the team, but you're taking CJ away. Yeah, and could you see a scenario where he ruins this team? I can't. I, I don't think Boogie would ruin the team. I just don't. I think people see Cousins and they see he's going to fix all of our problems. And that's just... No, he doesn't play that great of defense. I mean, he just is another scorer that re- and can rebound. That's that's just my concern with, with a trade. Is like, yes, we need this elusive third star, but we've seen free agency doesn't work for this franchise. And a draft pick would take too long to kind of marinate. And you don't want to give up one of your other two stars to get that third star. So Portland's in this tricky position where I think they do kind of have to pick a core and just roll with it. Like I said, we are the second youngest team. Um, you look back at the trailblazers of the early nineties, they struggled mightily getting in, in, uh, excuse me, getting out of the first round. Um, they had Drexler, they had duck, they had Porter, they had Kersey, they had Kiki Vandeway, they had Jim Paxson. You know, they had all of these, you know, players for a while. How did they become elite? Traded for Buck Williams. He was a veteran who came for Sam Bowie in a first-round pick. They struck gold by drafting Cliff Robinson in the second round. And, you know, they had a couple things fall their way. Drazen Petrovic came over and provided a spark. 
I think we need to look for that Buck Williams type of player. And I thought Robin Lopez was that a couple years ago where he, I think he was one of the biggest reasons why that team won 54 games. We need to find a guy like Buck Williams who is going to come in and not cost this team an arm and a leg, but he is going to help bring a team that already has so much chemistry and continuity and just push them up a notch. I think we just need to see this team go up a notch. So like a 30-year-old that still has something left but can teach Vonley how to play or, you know, Tudor Vonley or... I think ideally it's Paul Millsap. Man, he he's... What do you think Atlanta would accept? Well, if Atlanta keeps getting blown out, I think you would have to offer a pick and a pros- maybe a, a pick and Myers. And I know that's probably not going to happen, but if you're Portland, that's what you have to go with the negotiating table with this. Hey, you can take one of our players, or if they wanted Aminu or if they wanted Ed Davis instead, um, say, here, you're going to get a draft pick, and you're also going to get this 20-something for a guy that we don't know if he's even going to re-sign with us. And we're going to be taking a huge chance if we re-sign him because he's going to be 32 years old this summer. Um, what you have to worry about is what other teams can offer and how desperate other teams are. That's why I think it's important to have like a, a contingency plan. So, oh, okay, if they don't want Millsap or if they want too much, what does Orlando want for Ibaka? Um, Brooke Lopez, and I'm not saying Brooke Lopez I want, I'm just throwing out names that have been linked to the Trailblazers. Um I wouldn't mind Brooke Lopez. That contract's atrocious, but I'm not worried about his foot anymore. That's been three years without, or four years now without an injury. I'm not that worried about the foot. He'd add some stuff that we desperately need. I wouldn't mind it. And he could vet mentor our young guys. And this would be like his first real chance at competing. I think Olshay will... I think he he'll surprise some people. I know he's definitely got a plan in the works, but we've still got quite a while until I think we'll see some legitimate movement. I would give it well onto the new year before we see something happen. Um, but a lot could depend on how Portland performs on eight of these next nine games, which are all on the road. Um, we are going to break down all five of the road games coming up. But first, a quick message from our sponsor. For you, the listeners of the Holy Backboard Podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial for you to check out their service. I personally recommend Breaks of the Game by David Halberstein. It's one of the best books about the Portland Trailblazers I've ever read. It honestly is one of the best basketball books I've ever read. To download a free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash holdybackboard. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash holdybackboard for your free audiobook. And now back to the show, and thank you audible.com for making this show a reality with your sponsorship. Alright everybody, welcome back to the Holy Backboard Podcast. Sage, let's break down these five games on this upcoming road trip and it looks daunting to say the least. We have Chicago on Monday, Milwaukee on Wednesday, a back-to-back in Memphis the following day on Thursday, um, Indiana on Saturday, and they finish it with the Clippers on Monday. First glance, I don't think there's any game you could say Portland is definitely going to win this game. If it was at home, I'd give us the Milwaukee game. 
and Indiana because we already just beat them. Well, Paul uh, Paul George is back. Paul George wasn't going to do anything during that game. We would have still routed them by like fifteen points. All right, yeah. If like everything of that game, yeah, okay, I get it. But this is a new team with Paul George and CJ Miles back. Is CJ Miles back? I saw him play today when I was watching the Clippers uh, Pacers game. All right, but first things first, let's kick it off with the first game on the road trip, uh, the Chicago Bulls. And I was at the game of almost a month ago on November 15th where we just got destroyed, 113-88. to That was a game where we had no chance from the start. It was ice-cold shooting. Nobody could buy a bucket, and Portland fell behind by 20-plus points and really never got closer. I think 14 or 16 points was the closest but Jimmy Butler always had an answer. Uh, Jeremy Grant was the second-year player out of Notre Dame who came over with Robin Lopez from New York, filled in for Rajon Rondo, really gave Dame fits, I felt, defensively. He picked up Lillard 94 feet and made some timely three-pointers. Uh, you look at Robin Lopez, who really showed why he is so underrated and undervalued because he took it to Mason Plumlee. Um, he shot a three on us, too. 13 points, 11 boards, and he just really dominated the glass. In, in, in total, Chicago, I think, put up the most rebounds against any um, – or excuse me, Portland allowed the most rebounds to Chicago than any opponent this year. Obviously, it had to do with a lot with the Trailblazers going 34 of 95, but the Bulls had a significant advantage on the glass, 67-49. Didn't Taj Gibson also contribute a lot on the rebounding? Uh, he had 11. I mean, no, you're just looking at, like, every player had, like, at least eight. Miritich had eight. Uh, Bobby Portis came in, had six. Uh, Lopez, like we mentioned, 11. Gibson, 11. Jimmy Butler, 12. Butler was really the the star of the show, though. He was over 50% from the floor, eight of eight from the line. Completely filled out the stat sheet, as you would expect from an, all, uh, an all-star like Butler. 27, 12, and five. And to be honest... The Blazers never had a chance. We were down 35 to 14 to begin the game. And Chicago, even without Tom Thibodeau and Joakim Noah and all of those staples from the past, still can get it done on the defensive end. And they've been playing some good basketball lately, Sage. Oh, yeah. It's like they built a wall around the hoop and no Blazer was getting through to get a rebound. You know, you take away that that pretty ugly game against the Mavericks where they just got killed by whew, 25 I points. think Wes went off. Wes went off for 26. They beat the Chicago Bulls on Friday, 111-105. Mm-hmm. Um, that Maverick game was the second night of a back-to-back. But this is a team, like, they're going to be rested for Portland. Obviously, it's the first game of the road trip for the Trailblazers, but I think we have to go back no further than November 15th. Portland has to rectify the things that – they did in that game. Otherwise, it's going to be another knockout. I mean, they'll knock us out in the second quarter if that keeps up. So what are you looking for for the Trailblazers to do differently? Or can they? Is there anything they can do to beat this Bulls team? Well, I think with Rondo back, it definitely changes how they play defense. But I think it has to be gang rebounding. Everyone has to contribute on that end because Robin Lopez, they just built that wall. I mean, they built a wall around the Blazers that would not let us through to get a rebound. I, I think rebounding is huge. I think, how do we stop Jimmy Butler? 
he's been playing as like the second best player in the East right now. He's been fucking killing it this year. I mean, I don't think you can stop a player like that. I think if you're Portland, you have to slow down the role players. I don't think you can let Dwayne Wade go for 20 points again. You definitely can't let Grant have a night that he did. Um, the reason the Chicago Bulls were able, were able to put up 113 points is because they got a lot of help. Uh, they had Their starting five all had over 12 points, and when you get that type of balanced scoring, you're not able to help and double-team a Jimmy Butler because you know – that they've got Grant, they've got Wade, they've got Gibson, even Lopez. All of those players are capable of making it with that out to 15 feet. So it's really difficult when all those guys are clicking. I'm actually pretty stoked that Rondo is back because now you can kind of try different things defensively. Absolutely. Sag off of him and help out on a Jimmy Butler. It also allows Dame to hopefully rest a little bit on the defensive end. CJ still going to have to chase around D. Wade, but that allows Harkless to play on on Jimmy Butler, and I think that's a challenge that he is definitely going to um, look forward to. So, what are you looking at? What's what's your X factor? What are some what are some um, areas of the game that Portland has to win if they are going to leave the United Center with a dub? I think I think we have to get CJ McCollum going early. I think Dame's always the constant. The way we win games is when CJ and Dame are both hot or both contributing. So I think it's get get it to CJ early and often and hope that he can get off. Oh, and rebounding. Obviously rebounding. We cannot get killed on the glass like we did. I think it's two things. I think it's points in the paint and three points three point shooting. I don't want to see Portland putting up 34 threes like they did at home against the Bulls. They only made nine of those. Um which was a big reason why they got outscored in the paint 52 to 36. They need to do what they've done against teams that don't have a true rim protector. As much as we love Robin Lopez, he's not going to scare anybody from going into the paint. We need to look to a dribble drive and attack first and then kick out for open shooters because those are the quality three point shots. I don't want to see your guys walking up one pass and just chucking or just shooting it right off the break. We really need to work the offense, make the Chicago team work. Um, I think if we get a lot of quick shots and we try to run up and down, that's not going to give Portland the best success. So I want to see how many times are they moving the ball in offense? Are they getting quality shots? Are they fighting the shot clock or are they just because you don't want to overpass the ball? I mean, we've seen times where they try to do the dribble handoff and Plumlee standing there at the top of the key, really not knowing what to do. If they can just get into the rhythm where they're clicking, the ball's on a string, they're going to be fine. I also want to watch that Harkless versus Butler matchup uh, because Mo's been getting busy on the offensive end as well. If if Mo has a good game, I think the Trailblazers have a really great shot at getting this one. Uh, what are your thoughts going into this game, Sage? I think that last game, Butler doubled really aggressively. If we can burn them on those double teams and Alan Crabb can have one of his good games – I think it will be very beneficial to our uh, chances at winning because I I counted four or five times where he, Butler just left Crab wide open at the three to double Mason Plumlee in the post. Oh, they were doubling Dame too. They were they were pounding our guards, and they got away with it too. They had a few they had a few strips. I remember Grant doing it a couple times, and just it was a backbreaker each and every time they did it. So I, I agree. I think our bench needs to come up big. 
Uh, I'm not feeling super great about this one, though. Oh, what I think we're going to lose. I think we're going to lose. But uh, I think there are ways that we can win, but I don't know if we'll actually do them. Look for Evan Turner to have a big game. He's been playing. He is from Chicago. He's from, you know, he's a Windy City guy. I think he's going to want to show out in his hometown. I think it's going to be close. I just don't think Portland's ready to win on the road just yet. Um, up next, the Milwaukee Bucks, who are 10-8 and eight and playing some really strong basketball uh, lately. And if you're the Blazers, you almost have to just curse the schedule gods because they're getting these teams playing well at, at the wrong time. The Bucks, who have all the talent in the world, um, finally are starting to put it together. They've won five of their last six, including a 17-point thrashing of the Cavaliers. Uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo is looking like a young Magic Johnson out there. Uh, they played the Warriors hella tough, too, only losing by three at home. Uh, this is a team that is, is is Jekyll and Hyde. You really don't know what type of performance you're going to get from them. This is the hardest game on the trip for me to predict because I could see Portland going in there spanking them by 20. I could also see them rising up to the challenge and laying the hammer down on us. Mm. Um, I think the fact that we're maybe hovering around 500 right now might help us. They might overlook us. I definitely don't think they'll get up to play us like they did the Warriors and Cavaliers. But Portland's got to make them pay as well on, you know, obviously they played the games. They don't just go on paper. Portland has to make them pay. How can they do that, Sage? Well, I think the Bucks start with Giannis. He is their de facto point guard a lot of the time. I know Matthew Della is the point guard on the on the handouts to the media. But it, it, I'd say Giannis handles the ball about 50% of the time down the court. He's just a special, special player. He's tall. He can see over all of our, all of our players to make great passes. I think that they still don't really have a three-point shooter, so sagging in the paint might be a good move for us, our, uh, our, for the the defense because Parker's below average. I mean, the only shooter I'm really worried about is Delhi and Tony Snell, who gets some minutes. But what about Chris Middleton? He's injured. Oh, that he's, definitely helps. Yeah, Rip he, City. yeah, he's been he's he uh, tore his hamstring. He's out for a good long time. Shows how many Milwaukee games I, I I've seen. So that's why we keep you around, Sage. Yeah. But I think I've watched five. But yeah, Middleton's out, so there's no shooter to be worried about. Uh, I, I don't know if uh, the Plumlee brother is healthy or not, but they play Henson. I mean, they, they're just so done with Greg Monroe. So yeah, Greg Monroe's not getting. See, the thing that worries me is they're not playing Monroe. But watch I could them. just see him go off for twenty on us. Easy. Yep, pound in the paint. But back to Giannis, he's kind of what I envisioned Sean Livingston um, at his peak. Livingston coming out of, you know, Peoria High School was a 6-7 point pure point guard. Giannis could either play small forward or point, but regardless, both were tall, lanky, and had that amazing court vision. Um, you know, in 36 minutes over the last 10 games, he's averaging 24 points, about nine rebounds, in a little over six and a half assists per game, uh, throwing two and a half steals, and 55% from the field. Good uh, defense, too. Just Amazing good. defense. Just 
a the Greek freak. I, I can't think of a, a better nickname for an NBA player than the Giannis's moniker. And again, Mo Harkless is going to have his work cut out for him. He's going to have a busy week. He's got Jimmy Butler on Monday, and he he has to do his best to keep Giannis out of the paint. And he's got to deny him the ball because you want Delavadova running and initiating the offense. Absolutely. You've got to play denial defense on Giannis. And once he has the ball, while you want him to shoot jump shots, you still want to play up in his face so he's not able to just dissect the defense. Yeah, he's so so tall that he can just see over whomever's guarding him. So I, I think a big part is stopping Jabari from going off for 30. I, I I don't see a player on our team that could stop him. It's tough because Portland's going to have to go small. Yeah. And we haven't – this would be a game – if we have Aminu back, I think we could win because then you could put Aminu on Parker. But – I mean, we might have him, but he's not 100%. But it's better than trying to throw Alan Crabb into Absolutely. a starting lineup and seeing what happens when we play the Houston Rockets because the Bucks to me, are a little bit like the Rockets. I know they're not the three-point shooting threat, but they play small, and you have to have the personnel to match up against them. Uh, right now with Aminu Hurt, Portland does not have that, that type of you know, structure in the, in the roster to be able to go up against these teams. So I think if Aminu's healthy, Portland's got a great chance at winning this game. If he's not, I, I see a, a, a loss. I think that's the X factor right there is his health. Because I trust him on Jabari Parker. I think he has the strength to keep up with him. He's definitely faster than him. If you watch Jabari Parker, his lateral speed is like slow power forward. It's stopping Giannis, man. And then... It's such a difficult thing trying to stop Giannis because he's so talented and so tall and so quick and so athletic. It's definitely going to be a tough one, but I think that the the thing the Blazers need to have is they need to be shooting pretty well because there's nowhere, no one on the team that can match them shot for shot. This is a this is an inside interior based team for a team that goes small like the Milwaukee Bucks, looking at their their last performance against the Brooklyn Nets. They started Giannis, Deli, Tony Snell, Jabari Parker, and John Henson. You would think that team would be liable to giving up a lot of points in the paint. However, they are eighth best at stopping teams at scoring in the painted area. They only allow just slightly over 40 points per game in the paint. Just like Chicago, Portland needs to ditch the three and think paint first. Three can come secondary, but there is nobody on this Milwaukee roster that's going to stop them in the paint. Giannis might get you from behind a couple times. I know Henson's long, but Dame and CJ have scored over Gobert. So there is no Gobert on this Milwaukee defense. I think we need to pound them inside. Um, this is a game where you're looking at Evan Turner trying to back down, post up some guys, getting some post-up buckets. You're looking at maybe Mason Plumley. He had some success just with the quick Turn over the shoulder jump hook. Um, we've seen Mo Harkless get loose on the backdoor cuts. If they try to shoot the three, they're going to lose. I know that's their their strength, but this is a team, Milwaukee, that not only are they not big inside or excuse me, tall, they're not very bulky. You're looking at a lot of a lot of long and lanky guys. Take it to the chest of the Bucks, and if you do that, you're going to have a good time. 
What, what? We just you all right or because I that, said that, three pointer was the key to this game. <laughs> I mean, that's too obviously. Portland has to shoot the three well to win the game, but I don't want to see that shot be their primary weapon. No, I don't want solely focusing on hitting the three because. I know the stats say Milwaukee's good at keeping teams out of the paint, but looking at that roster, you should be able to feast down low. Well, I mean, they usually have... What's the worst Plumlee's name? Miles. Miles. They usually have Miles in to... And he's more bulky. I don't know. Uh, when I when I watch him against the Pelicans and then the shit, Celtics, they do a pretty good job. And I, I think Giannis just being able to play center field in a way, which I think is a huge thing. We can't we have to make him work on defense. He definitely helps with the the, the shot blocks and then the contains on uh the shooter. He's it's just way talented. But what are you what are you feeling, Sage? I think this is gonna be our a win for us. I'm gonna kind of straddle the fence on this one. If Aminu plays, I've got the Blazers squeaking out of victory. If he doesn't play, I think we lose by probably 10-plus. I think we need his defense on Parker significantly. Mm-hmm. So that's my kind of caveat. So if Aminu plays, I really like our chances. Um, Portland oh. follows it up the next night in Memphis to take on the Grizzlies. Uh, the Grizzlies are going to look a little bit differently because Mike Conley is out. Um, I believe he's out for like six weeks. Isn't yeah, that, right? that, ba- that back injury. And Portland, to this through 21 games, their finest win of the entire season was a 194 victory in Memphis earlier this season on November 6th. Uh, we can skip really everything. The X factor is going to be CJ McCollum. He had 37 and really ignited that comeback. The dude loves playing in the grindhouse. If he can get going again, I don't see how Portland can lose because he just. That's just his arena. Like, we know there are certain players that play well against us. Well, the Grizzlies fear seeing C.J. McCollum on that roster. Yeah. They're so hurt that even if we project the team, someone might – I know Parsons will be out for another two weeks. I know Conley's out. I think uh, – shit, Ennis is hurt. I think – is Vince hurt? He may – there's just so many injury issues. They Memphis is just supremely unlucky when it comes to injuries. Okay, Vince Carter hip injury. Uns, did he play um, tonight against the Pellies? That's uh, that's Monday. tomorrow. Yeah. Mike Conley out six weeks with the back. James Ennis uh, is going to be reevaluated in two weeks with a calf injuries. He's out. Parsons knee injury. Uh, he has a bone bruise. He's going to be out till the middle of December. Uh, you've got Zach Randolph, who is unfortunately dealing with the passing of his um, his mother. Yeah, one of those. And, and then Brandon Wright is going to be out two months with an ankle. So they are significantly depleted. They're picking and, up Tony Douglas with that uh, emergency exemption. And if you're Portland going to be on the second night of a back-to-back, but this is a game that you have to win with Memphis being so banged up. Not only are the Grizzlies ahead of you in the standings, right now they're still six, they're 13-8, and eight. they've still won two games in a row, and they're 7-3 and three in their last 10, 
this is huge for tiebreakers. We've already lost the tiebreaker to the Rockets and Clippers. This would be a chance to get it from the Memphis Grizzlies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm just looking at that depleted lineup. I feel kind of bad for Mark Gasol. He's dealing with Jamichael, Tony Allen, Ty Williams, Troy Williams, and uh, Andrew Harrison. That is not an NBA caliber team right there. So I I think this is the must win for the Portland Trailblazers. I know it's on a back-to-back, but this team's so injured that they just have to take advantage. His mother died, yeah. So that's that's tough for Zebo. Our thoughts go out to you, Zach. Um, nobody, nobody likes losing family members, especially your mom. So that's going to be tough. I hope he's definitely back on the court when we play him. Um, he's going to give us fits. He gave us fits when uh, we played them last. It was actually, I think, their coach David Fisdale pulled him and put in Jamichael Green with. Uh, Mark Gasol and pulled Zach Randolph and Randolph had 15 and seven on six of 11 shooting really was controlling that interior and was a big reason why they jumped out to that 10 point third quarter lead. So will Fizdale make that adjustment again and go back to Zach because we have nobody on this roster that can bang with Zebo down low. Myers will do a pretty good job on Mark Gasol, but I think this game really comes down now to that blazer backcourt. You've got uh, no Mike Conley, Tony Allen, who can't shoot, and then you've got Damon CJ. If Damon CJ can combine for 50 plus, I've got the Blazers winning. Like you said, this is the must win game. Not only is it for tiebreaker purposes, not only is it to move a game up in the standings, but they are depleted. You already beat them once at semi full strength. I mean, Parsons had his first game back, but you can do it again. Yeah, so yeah. I've, I've got the Blazers winning this game. What about you? Oh, absolutely. And we handled business against a depleted team, this, two depleted teams this week. I know that they have it in them, so let, this, is the, this is the win that we need to have. All right. Saturday, another familiar opponent for the Trailblazers are the Indiana Pacers. The Pacers do now have Paul George back, and he made a big impact in his mm-hmm. return. Knocked off uh, the Clippers. The Cl- Let's see, 112, or excuse me, 111 to 102. That is their second win over the Clippers in the span of this week. Um, they did this one in Los Angeles. They forced uh, a lot of turnovers. They got a lot of steals on uh, a team that really doesn't commit a lot of turnovers. They made Chris Paul look pretty human. So I, I, I know the Blazers like turning the ball over. They really can't do it against this team because they thrive on that. Fortunately for Portland, and this does not happen very often with a team on a five-game road trip of their own, the Pacers will be not only on the second night of a back-to-back, they will be in Dallas the night before, but this will be Indiana's first home game back after a five-game road trip. We've said this time and time again on this podcast, the first game back for 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 a team home after a long road trip is essentially a road game because you have a tendency to let down. You're sleeping in your own bed. You've got that home-cooked meal. You're seeing familiar faces. You're coming to your home locker room. Hopefully, Portland can play off of that. They're still on the road. That's all All they have is each other in that locker room. 
I think this is another game that they really should win. Indiana didn't show me anything that would give me cause for concern. We actually match up really well against this Pacer team. Paul George or not, I expect Alfaruk Aminu to be back for this game. He did a masterful job in both games against Paul George last season. Um, it's really a good matchup for Aminu to use his strength against uh, Paul George. And Monte Ellis has really fallen off the, the face of the earth. He's not that that player I used to fear mm. uh, in Dallas and in Golden State. And then Jeff Teague, he, he just doesn't do it for me. His role is diminished now that Paul George is back too. The I mean, one guy I will say that gives me a very big cause for concern is Miles Turner. That guy is amazing for only a second-year player. He really kept them afloat in that game against Portland. And he has the ability to bring our bigs out of the paint even more. I mean, no, everybody knows Portland's not going to really stop a lot of teams down low. But if we're spread out even more, that just gives their guards and Paul George even more room to operate. And he's uh, a good shot blocker. He's a, he's, he's a fantastic young big. Uh, yeah. Kudos to them for picking him because he looks real good. But again, I, th- I think this is an, another performance where the Blazer bench can put their stamp on a victory because, at least on paper, I'm taking our bench over Aaron Brooks, Rodney Stuckey, Joe Young, Lavoy Allen, um, Al Jefferson. CJ. I will say this. If the Pacers are smart, they would start Al Jefferson with Miles Turner and they would feed Al Jefferson at will. They made a comeback and they actually forced our starters to play more minutes than I would have liked because we had no answer for big Al down low. Um, we were playing pretty good defense, but he's, this is not his first rodeo. He's been in the league since 04. And there's one thing he can do. It's get buckets in the paint, both hands, both blocks over both shoulders, uh, like clockwork. We do not have a guy that can get it out of his hand that can that can stop him. Um, the only way we can do it is if you double if you double team him, and then you're also risking guys like C.J. Miles and Monte Ellis and Paul George shooting threes uncontested. So that's not really a recipe. Will Nate McMillan take advantage of that? That's that's the big question for me. And then Thad Young as the sixth man would be pretty deadly. I until you mentioned his name, I completely forgot he was on the Pacers, and I was even at that game. He was a complete no show. Yeah. Four, four points, two of six shooting. Um, yeah, I would give Al Jefferson all of those minutes because he is the way they are going to win this game if they do. Like I said, the question: Will Nate McMillan go to that? Do you think he will? I think the Pacers are going to win. I think that they're going to force a lot of bad mistakes from the Blazers. Uh, I think Al Jefferson's <laughs> going to be pretty unstoppable, and then I, I, I just they, I just trust their defense way more than ours. A defense that gave up one thirty one without probably the best defensive player in the no he's not the best defensive on player the in the team league. on their team, team yeah. yeah team okay yeah I mean Paul George is a pretty damn good defender. So, and I think the Blazers were red hot that game. I mean, were we? Dame was 11 of 18. CJ is only 7 of 18. My my thinking is, yes, Paul George, he probably could have helped contain Mo Harkless. Mo Harkless had 9 of 14 shooting, but he's not going to be guarding the Allen Crabb, who went 4 of 8. He's not going to be guarding Evan Turner, who went 5 of 7. Those guys gave us 28 off the bench. We got uh, 47 from Dame and CJ. 
he's not going to be guarding our guards. But, so, I mean, with how injured they were, I mean, having that depth is definitely going to help. I think this is going to be the, 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 the game where we disagree the most. But. I, th- I think Portland gets the win. I think Indiana is actually one of the best matchups in the NBA for the Trailblazers because we have that advantage um, on the bench and um, on the guards. If we are able to get our guards going, I, I don't see how Indiana can stop us. My one fear, again, is Al Jefferson. Now, if Nate feeds him deep, I could easily see this being a loss. But Jefferson is a little bit older. I don't think he can play more than like 30 minutes a night. So P- Portland can weather that storm. Um and just play smart basketball. Like, continue to move without the ball, get guys open shots, get into the paint. We'll have a good time. And again, Evan Turner, this is another game where he can go up against those smaller guards and really make it happen for Portland. So I'm really looking for Portland to get their third straight road victory against the Indiana Pacers. And then the road trip comes to a conclusion in Los Angeles against the Clippers who have really had their way with the Blazers. Uh, back in October, they they won in Portland 114-106. to 106. That was the infamous referee game, probably the worst officiated game, I still think, of this season. Um, and then you've got just a complete slobber knocker. They beat us by 31 points, 111-80. It was 80-40 to 40 at one point. To be fair, that was the night after the election. If the Blazers were anything like me, they didn't didn't give a fuck about basketball either. So can't really blame them for that one. I do not think we are going to win this game, Sage. I just don't think the Clippers are a good matchup for us, especially down in Los Angeles where I I can't remember the last time we beat the Clippers in the Staples Center. But what I am looking for, not only in this game, but on this road trip in general— is if if we lose, are we still being competitive? I do not want to see any more double-digit blowouts. Um, That Houston game really pissed me off because it just seems like any team with a pulse at that time was just having their way with us. Um, At a certain point, the Blazers need to say, no, the buck stops here, and we are going to take some pride in our defense and in our play, and we're not just going to go out and get punked every night. Um, The Clippers are beatable, though. Um, just because I don't think we're going to beat them doesn't mean they're not beatable. They've been slipping late. They had the best record in the NBA for a while, but they're six and four in their last ten. They are now third in the West at sixteen and six. Um, surprisingly, they've been much better on the road than at home. They play twelve on the road. They're nine and three, seven and three at home, including some interesting losses. Uh, I believe the Thunder got them at home, and the Pacers just recently got them yeah. at home. And then a few weeks ago, they arrested Blake, and then they lost. Um, Let's see. Looking at their schedule. They just beat New Orleans. Yeah, they are the Jekyll and Hyde team. They had lost three straight. They got blit. I mean, they had some bad losses. They got killed in Detroit, killed in Indiana without Paul George, uh, lost double overtime at Brooklyn. But then they come back and they smack the Cavs in Cleveland and they smack the Pelicans in New Orleans. And the Pelicans are a respectable opponent once everyone's healthy. AB uh, got hurt. But then they come back home. I mean, like we said, the first game back after a long road trip is always difficult. And, and they're playing the Warriors next. And they lost. So this is a very interesting game. I think they're going to be up for us just because of that rivalry we started with them last year. 
seems like the teams talk a lot of shit on the court. But what it's going to come down to is can Portland control Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan? You know, Chris- I, th- I think the pick and roll is the is the is the key. Do we defend it? What the Clippers like to do now is pick and pop with Blake, and people seem to just follow Chris on the pick and roll, and Blake gets good quality shots. So what I'm worried what I'm worried about is yes, the pick and roll obviously, and then you have it with CP3 and DJ, then you always have the lob threat coming there. I'm worried about, and I especially saw this in that first game in up in Portland, when they just isolate Blake Griffin on the block and get him. No one's stopping him on his team. Put a meal on him, it wasn't working. We put Hargos on him, it wasn't working. We have absolutely nobody that can guard him one-on-one. So if I'm Portland, I don't want Blake Griffin touching that basketball. I would CP3, even though he's one of the greatest point guards of all time, let him run the show. But we actually, you know, Dame can do a decent enough job on him. I am really worried about Blake Griffin because we do not have that traditional power forward. And if Blake continues to go off, Throw in Bonley. He has got the size and stature of the prototypical power forward, and I think he gives us really the best option at not sl- not stopping Blake, but at least maybe putting okay. up a road. To I, and then- I, I think that what you're proposing takes a lot of discipline, and I don't, I don't see, I don't think we have it because against pick and pop bigs, we're not very good. I mean, that Caleb game is just recency bias, and I, I just know. We don't like guarding. We just follow the point guard every pick and pop. Yeah, I definitely think this is a loss for Portland. It's not a good matchup. I don't think we match up well down low with them. In a playoff scenario, I think a series still goes six or seven because we play so well at home in the playoffs. But like I said, I can't remember the last time we have won in Los Angeles. I know game five, but CP3 and Blake were, were both out. If an, another matchup I'm looking for, if Portland does pull this victory off, it is going to become because of Mo Harkless. The small forward position is one area of weakness for the Clippers where he is a much better player than Wesley Johnson. Mm-hmm. He is better than Luke Richard and Bob Mute. He can get it done, but for every matchup, I mean, that's the one matchup we have. They have DJ and Mace, Blake against Aminu, um, I think our backcourt is a little bit better, but theirs is still significant in the terms of production they get. And I mean, the, the JJ just worked really well as a, a pairing with CP. Yeah, JJ is the type of player that you just cannot give him any open space. Um, you also have to worry about Jamal Crawford in that bench. The bench just went nuts on us. In yeah, both. Mo Spates. Mo Spates is a, he's probably most Spates and Jamal Crawford are probably my X factors um, for this I game. Hate- most bits so fucking much. And he always makes fucking threes against us. I mean, that's what he does. It's a pick and pop with CP3. And he somehow sit, get, stays open because teams aren't disciplined on that fucking play. If you're a Blazer fan, and you probably are if you're listening to this podcast. God, you just, you, this would be the most miserable podcast if you didn't like this team. You just want to see the team play competitive. And I say that in the nicest way possible just because you have to hope that they remember that ass kicking that the Clippers gave them the night after the election. That has to sit in. This is also the final game between the the, the two teams. Um, Let's go out there and, yes, it's the last game of the road trip, but if you've won three straight going into this, like I predicted, 
I know you see it otherwise. This would be the sweetest way to end a road trip. So, so you, three and you two just, or two and three for yeah, you? Three and two. Three and two. I'm going two and three. I two and three if Aminu doesn't play against the Bucks. If he does, three and two. I want that same. Uh, honestly, if, if if we end up being three and two, that's a successful week. That is a resounding success because what's waiting for the Trailblazers in the following week? Oh, you've got a date with the the Thunder and MVP leader Russell Westbrook. Then you go on the road for three straight Denver, Golden State, Sacramento. Oh, you got the second best team in the East, Toronto Raptors day after Thanksgiving or Christmas, and you've got two matchups against the San Antonio Spurs. That's just in December. So December is a month of hell. If the Trailblazers can go three and two, my God, you take that and run to the bank. But Sage, before we sign off, we gotta talk a little bit about Russell Westbrook because the dude is on one right now. Five triple doubles in the last five games. Five triple, like let that sink in just a bit because that is that's just unfathomable. Like that's hard to do in two K. He is averaging a triple double for the season. He could be the first player since Oscar Robertson to average a triple double. Thirty-one point two points, eleven point three dimes, ten point five boards. I, I I don't know if I've ever been more impressed. Maybe other than LeBron. In, in, in post-Jordan era. So, for DFS, you know, it's a, it's a salary cap. So, players are ranked by how well they do. So, I had to make the decision tonight about AD, who putting up probably the third or second best numbers, or Russ. I chose AD because I oh, then could afford oh. CP3 and Blake. So, Russell Westbrook is more more uh, valuable to your DFS roster than CP3 and Blake money-wise when you're trying to build a lineup. It's fucking insane how good he's been. I think right now I'd take Russ. Luckily, I, I made money, but... You ride that train until until it goes off the tracks. Dude, he's been fucking unbelievable. I mean, he's tied MJ. MJ with five straight triple-doubles, and... Uh... And Drew Holiday, <laughs> I think, is one of the better defensive matchups for... Russ still got a triple-double very easily. He could have got a triple-double in half, but the fucking Thunder's defense, or offense was in hitting three, open threes. So, so we're a quarter of the way through the season. He's got to be your MVP, yeah? Absolutely. I think, I think the top three would be... Yeah, he's definitely number one because they're... Russ, one, Harden, two... Yeah, Harden's got to be two. Yeah, Harden, no, Harden. I'm trying to think of a third that isn't Anthony yeah, Davis. Durant. Durant's played great. Yeah, he has. He has played really well. I mean, if records didn't matter and it was just straight stats, AD would be three. But the team's awful. For the Trailblazers, but not getting too deep into it, just overall coaching, what would you give the, the grade after quarter of the season? C-plus fair? Yeah, uh, F on offense, probably a B-plus or an A on Wait, F on defense, B plus A on offense, C, C plus. So we I don't like his rotations either, so I'll give it a C. So we obviously know Dame's been, been a boss. CJ's coming around. What has been the most surprising storyline through these first Mo 21 Harkless. games? Not not Dame or CJ, really. Him yep. becoming, I, uh, 
I, a, a reliable DM3 player. I think Mo Harkless is there. For me, it's also Evan Turner. He took a lot of fucking shit early on and was the, sca- was the scapegoat for no apparent reason other than being Portland's high-profile free agent acquisition. He has played really well quietly over the past two, two weeks. weeks, and defensively, he's not the problem. Offensively, Portland's been just fine. I really want the narrative to switch on Evan Turner being a problem because he hasn't been. He's actually very much helped this team. So that's going to be what I'm looking forward as the, the team heads into January or excuse me, plays into December into the new year. Can Evan Turner continue his, his play? Can Mo Harkless further submit himself as the third best trailblazer? And can we get some more consistency out of Alan Crabb? Those are the huge things that I want to look at that aren't really related to Dame and CJ. Oh, and Mason Plumlee's defense, I think, is atrocious. It is atrocious, but... That's a, I think that's a storyline that people are starting to realize. But he's so... He, I mean, his passing helps us so much. But that defense... The thing with Plumlee is... Everyone knows I'm not the biggest Mason Plumlee fan. Um... I think Portland's going to have a very difficult decision with with Plumlee at the trade deadline because he has a restricted free agent and his defense is horrible. But he's very efficient shooting the basketball, almost fifty six percent. He is a he's almost guaranteed to get you ten points a night. What you love about Plumlee is he'll get you eight boards and pay for like six assists, and he's so good. And I don't think we're using him correctly as well. We need to be doing more CP3 DeAndre stuff with Plumlee and, and Damon CJ because the dude can go up there and get it. He's very athletic. He's 6'11", 255 with a really nice wingspan, and he's still got some bunnies left in those legs. So I would love to run more pick and roll with Plumlee and make the defenses respect him just like they do DeAndre Jordan on that role. It would make life so much easier for Damon CJ as well, knowing that the trailer, the big trailer on, on, on the defensive end, has to account for Mason possibly catching a lob. And if they do that, that's going to give Damon CJ that extra tenth of a second they need to get that ball in the air. So what did what are you giving Terry Stotts as a, uh, as a coach this year? C+. Plus. Oh. I mean, I, I think with all things considered, Aminu is our best defender. He's been out, what, three weeks. They did have to incorporate Evan Turner. Um, you can't really fault him for Alan Crabb being so inconsistent. Uh, you can't fault him for the roster construction. I think Neil O'Shea gets some um, credit as well as fault for that. But he does get knocked for, I think, not playing Von Ley enough. His defensive philosophy is very outdated. And I think he's playing Damon CJ still too many minutes. I think he needs to trust guys like Napier to run the show a little bit more. Uh, we cannot waste Damon CJ at, as they're 25 and 26 playing top three minutes in the league. That just can't happen for a team that's eighth in the West. If we're going to take if we're going to take a couple extra losses this year because we we fall out of the top 10 in their minutes in their minutes per game numbers, I'm totally fine with that. This is not the year to go all in. I I, I see AD is number two on minutes played. I don't even see him running anymore on offense because he's so exhausted playing these minutes. So I don't, I can't even. CJ and Dame have to be so tired after every game because they actually have to run more 
than Anthony Davis because of the position they play. We gotta chill. We have to uh, keep. We have to rest them more. It, it it it's it's risky to play them this much. This is Tom Thibodeau level of overuse. And the perfect example was the Pacer game. We had that game in hand. It was like thirteen points with like four minutes to go. You know, pull them. It, it's you've got to let these other players sink or swim. Um, I don't. Yes, Indiana in that case was making a run. But you, we didn't need to play them that many minutes. It's just it's frustrating that it's like the game has to be like a twenty point scenario in either camp for us to to start bringing in like the laymans and the quartermans. I want to see more quartermen in real time to see what this kid can really do. He's looked good in garbage time, but we all know garbage time is garbage time, and it's really tough to make assumptions off of off of uh, minutes when the game's already you know not in balance. Yep. So that's what I want to see more from Terry Stotts, more more trust in his team in terms of, of players. We don't need to play those guys heavy minutes, especially this season. And for God's sakes, can we continue to tell our guys to fight over screens and put hands up on the pick and roll? Yeah, or hands up in general on closing out shots too. I kind of forgot that homework about counting how many times they closed out hard. I think we did a very good job this these past two games of not falling for the pump fake, which I was very happy for. Yeah. I think that about wraps it up. It's 11.34 on a, a cold Sunday night here in Portland for me. I know it's just as chilly down in Southern Oregon for you. Uh, Sage, thank you. It's been an awesome podcast once again. Uh, fans, listeners, uh, if you like what you're hearing, please subscribe on iTunes. Give us that five-star rating. You can also listen to the podcast on Stitcher and SoundCloud at Holy Backboard PDX. We are also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Holy Backboard. And if you feel like sending us an email, you can do so by going to holybackboardpdx at gmail.com. It's, it's going to be a tough, tough sledding this month of December. It starts tomorrow night in Chicago. Let's just hope for a winning record on the road, and let's go, Blazers. Let's get it. Let's be the Road Warriors. Let's go!